welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and today we're going to be hearing from E3 Partners. We've got Corey Spinks from E3, and he's talking about Jesus and Paul's strategy for making kingdom impacts around the world. And that is exactly what E3 Partners exists to do. They realize that 5.2 billion people around the world are far from God and many lack access to the life-changing message of the gospel. And that's why they're diligently working to plant local churches in over 90 countries across six continents with the intent of multiplying disciples and churches across the whole planet until every person in place has been reached for Christ. A little bit of a heads up, this is actually E3's third track session. I had to jump around just a little bit because we're missing one, but I thought that this content was so great that it needed to be included here on the podcast. So just bear with me and know that if you feel like you're missing something, they probably mentioned it in a previous track session, which I'm going to be releasing after this one. All right, let's jump in and hear from Corey Spinks from E3. Enjoy the episode. My name's Corey Spinks. Um, I work with E3 Partners said earlier, based out of Plano, Texas. So I'm the collegiate strategist for North America for our organization. Um, so my background kind of, I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a PK. Uh, so grew up in the church, always going to church. But the reality was I never really learned how to make a disciple. Had no clue what that looked like. Uh, I just thought, well, hey, I, I need to bring all my friends to church. The more I bring, the more, you know, goodies I receive and I get, you know, I can go on the fun trips and things like that. So that was kind of kind of the basis. Uh, It wasn't until I was probably graduating high school. I just I felt like something was missing uh, in my life, you know, in discipleship and ministry. For me, I was put on a path. uh, Any any people with strong SBC backgrounds. Right, so there's there's a path kind of that you're put on. So you become a youth pastor, you go to seminary. When you graduate seminary, you become a pastor, and you're a pastor until you die. Right, so that's kind of the trajectory. And I didn't fit it, honestly. I didn't fit the mold. I didn't fit maybe what people were looking for. And so I always thought there had to be something missing. And so I got my hands on some material that was challenging me to dig into the Word and understand Jesus's ministry. Long story short, it wrecked my life. Uh, it flipped me upside down. I saw ministry through a whole different light, actually in the New Testament, seeing the book of Acts come to life. Uh, and I decided I want to give my life for this. So I quit my really good American dream job, sold my house, sold everything I own, and pursued a career in missions. I wouldn't call it a career. Uh, but <laughs> I pursued missions full time. That brought me to Clarkston, Georgia, working among immigrants and refugees, planting churches, making disciples. Saw great things happening. That moved me to Charlotte, North Carolina. Saw the same things happening with immigrants and refugees. And through that, an opportunity presented itself to move to the global city of London, England, to help facilitate strategy across the entire city of London. So 10 million people, over 9 million of them lost, going to spend eternity separated from their Creator. Uh, And it broke my heart. But I had experience. I started. I was seeing things. God had just given me a, a, a great understanding, I felt like. And I'm still failing forward in this. I'm not a professional by no means. Uh, we call it failing forward. But I saw this come to life. And so I want you to get a taste of it. Right? 
if Jesus had a plan, right? So why would the creator of the universe come to earth and not have a plan? That just doesn't make any sense whatsoever, right? And we see that plan throughout the New Testament in Jesus's ministry, but then again in Paul's ministry, and they're identical. And you begin to see that, and we're going we're gonna to explore that together. And so we'll have some time for Q&A at the end, but we're going to go on a journey together. And so that's why this session is called Plan Like Jesus and Paul Did. So if Jesus had a plan of making disciples and the way that He did ministry, why would we think anything else other than that is better? right? Or why would we want to reinvent the wheel, so to speak? Right? We have the Word of God. And the Word of God is it's amazing. It's living. It's powerful. Why would we not apply these same principles to the way that we do ministry? So in our last session, uh, two, three of y'all were in here, we talked about just the, the way that Jesus did ministry. And so this is summed up in Mark chapter 4. Uh, Jesus gives a parable. And He says that a farmer enters a field... And he begins to sow seed in this field. And then he goes to sleep. And when he awakes, there's growth. He doesn't know how it happened, but there's growth. And then when the time comes, he puts in the sickle. And he gathers that growth together for the harvest. And so Jesus said that the kingdom was like this. But then we're going to look at Jesus' ministry. This is what Jesus did. This was the five parts to Jesus' ministry. He entered into new areas. He boldly proclaimed the gospel. The gospel was a little bit different because he was the walkie embodiment of the gospel, right? Saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He made disciples very intentionally, purposefully. And he gathered believers together everywhere that he went. We call that church. But all the while that was happening, he was developing healthy leaders to replicate the process over and over and over again. So this is interesting, right? So we call this the five parts of Jesus' ministry, summed up in what we call the four fields of kingdom growth. Four fields, this, this is just a drawing to help us understand how the kingdom works, how it grows, how it multiplies. And we're going to explore that together. So... What I want to do first is turn to John chapter 17 if you have your Bibles. We're going to look at one verse. And I'm just going to leave you with this. We're not going to, we're not going to talk about it. We're, I, I want you to wrestle with this. So John chapter 17, verse 4. This is that high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying. right? So maybe in your Bible these words are in red. <laughs> Jesus is praying. And notice what he prays and what he says. Will someone read John 17, verse 4 for me? I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. When is this prayer taking place? Does anybody know? Right before the cross. And Jesus is saying the work was completed. Before the cross. Well, what was the work? What was the work that Jesus did? Making disciples, right? He knew, hey, I've got the 12. 
minus one, you know, plus one. <laughs> we can go in all that. But that was the work that he was doing. And then we see the same word used for work again in Acts chapter 13. So turn to Acts chapter 13. Will someone read verse 4? I believe it's verse 4. In the ESV, um, chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I had called them. All right. After... Yeah, you're good. Sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. Right. I wanted to highlight verse 3. So if you're taking notes, that's my mistake. It's verse 3. You see it again, right? Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work which I have called them. Then we fast forward. So the first missionary journey ends in chapter 14. Fast forward to Acts chapter 14, verse 26. And read this. Acts 14, verse 26. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. All right. Holy Spirit set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. First missionary journey is wrapping up and the work was completed. Well, what was the work? What did they do on this missionary journey? And how did that work resemble what Jesus did years before? So we're going to look at Jesus' ministry. We're going, to, we're going to explore together. We're going to open the Word. I can stand up here for an hour and talk, but I'm uneducated. I don't know anything. Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So let's look at it together. So turn to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read and explore together. And we're going to highlight specifically these things. What did Jesus do for entry? What did He do for gospel? What did He do for discipleship? Gathering people together? And then developing leaders. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And we're going to read all the way to verse 39. All right? So if someone wants to read all of it, that's really helpful. But maybe if two people want to split it, that would be helpful too. Uh, will someone read all of it? Going once, going twice. So Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. The next day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open, opening, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came from the heaven, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit brought him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. Now after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will have you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, 
And they left there, followed Zebedee in a boat with the hired men and went away to follow him. I follow my oh, We're going to 39. <laughs> All right. Stop me if I get too boring. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions and crying out with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of him, and they were all amazed. So they debated among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching of authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately after they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and they immediately spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she served them. Now when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew who he was. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed there for a time. Simon and his companions eagerly searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let's go somewhere else, to the towns nearby, so that I may also preach there, for this is why I came. And he went in, into their synagogues, preaching throughout Galilee and casting out the demons. Amazing. Hey, good job. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot to take in, right? But we're going to work through this a little bit together, right? This, is, this isn't an ordinary breakout session, right? We're going to do this together. So what do you notice specifically about entry? How, what is Jesus doing to enter into new places and how is he engaging with people? What's he doing? What do you notice? If you need to read the beginning a little bit, that's okay. Yeah, right? So we know where he's at, right? He's around the Sea of Galilee. He's coming into Galilee. What does he do? What are some of the things that he does to engage people? Local people he was passing by, he calls out to them. Okay, yeah. He's talking to people as he's walking. What else? Invited them. Yeah. He's offering an invitation. To what? What's the invitation to? Follow. To follow him. What else do we see about the entry? How is he specifically engaging people? Like what is he doing to engage people? He's teaching them. He's teaching? Yeah. He's going to where they are. He's going to where they are. No, this is good. Keep going. Using language of men. Oh, man, there's some contextualization that's happening there, right? That's a big word. Healing. He's healing people. He's healing. What else do we see him do? All right, some of those miracles. What? He's meeting felt needs. Casting out demons. It's good. What does the gospel look like? What is the gospel content? What's coming out of Jesus' mouth? Scripture. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Huh. 
right? He is the gospel. And he's saying, the time is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, believe, I'm here. It's pretty bold. (laughs) What else? What else is the gospel content? Right? We know the power of the gospel, power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So we see the miracles, but then Jesus is giving a mouth-to-ear presentation of what the expectation is. He's calling them to repentance. It's not a gospel presentation unless we're calling people to repentance. What else? What else do you notice about the gospel in his ministry? It's good to read it, but it's, it's simple. It wasn't complicated. Oh, man. Boom. Wow. <laughs> That's good. That's good. He kept moving, didn't he? Right? And he was like, all right, here it is. What did discipleship look like? Just watching him and following along with him. Yeah, yeah right? They're with him. Everywhere he goes, they're with him. They're seeing what he's doing. So there's this idea that Jesus is modeling, right? He's modeling and modeling and modeling. To a point later, we see that he's helping them do it, right? We see Luke 9, Luke 10, he's sending them out. And they don't, they're not standing around and they're asking, well, what do we do? They knew what to do. He'd been showing them and showing them. What else does discipleship look like? Time spent, right? Definitely. A lot of time spent together. Oh, (laughs) that's a good one. Proximity. (laughs) What else? That's good. Yeah. They're soaking it in, right? There's a lot of different elements going on here. This is really good. What else? Discipleship. Recognizing your own need to talk to the Father. Mm, Yeah, I think that's good. That's part of that modeling, right? Jesus knew that He had to get away and spend time with the Father. So, So check this out. If Jesus Himself found importance in getting away and spending time with the Father, how can we afford to do anything less? Right? There was value in that. Not just to model for them, but Jesus needed that. We see that throughout Jesus' ministry. The time spent. And notice this. This is interesting. So Jesus calls Peter and Andrew. Andrew. And Andrew goes and runs and gets Peter. We see that in some of the other Gospels. And where does Jesus go then? Jesus starts infiltrating their social network now, their own sphere of influence. That now, hey, I'm going to your your mother-in-law's house. Does a miracle. And then it says that the entire city is pressing in to see they were hearing what was going on. The message of Jesus, the Gospel, was meant to multiply. It was what it was intended to do. Jesus was being sure that that was happening. He was intentional with it. What about gathering together, right? We talked about the mother-in-law's house. We see a gathering taking place there. 
What else do you notice about gathering? What's happening? Anything? Uh, the crowd's gathering. Yeah. yeah, there's a crowd. Jesus draws a crowd. He took care of them. He didn't just ignore them. Hmm. Yeah. Right? There was a crowd. He engaged the crowd. He didn't bypass it. Right? There was value in that. And then all the while, all this is happening, he's developing some people that we see later replicate the process. Jesus had a plan. He was intentional with every aspect of his ministry. Amazing that this is just the first chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> it's a game changer. <laughs> How about developing leaders? I mean, this is all developing leaders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it happens simultaneously, right? You're developing a leader from day one. First conversation. First conversation, right? It's a process. And they're constantly moving, right? They're, to the point that, look, and Jesus says in verse 38, and He said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. <laughs> he was keeping vision in front of them the whole time. Right? There's a lot there. We can unpack so much more. And I want you to think, we won't, we won't go into, think about Paul, right? How does Paul's ministry mirror this? Do you see any resemblances? All over the place, right? Entered a lot of different areas. He'd always have somebody with him. Always had somebody with him. Always developing a leader in there. Bold with the gospel, right? Always. That discipleship piece is developing, developing, developing. To later on, right, he sends Timothy to put in order a mess. So Paul was developing and sending them back out. Think about this. What does Priscilla and Aquila do with Apollos? Yeah, and it doesn't take very long, does it? Here's someone that's got a knowledge. Yeah, he didn't have, he didn't have all, the, all the pieces. So they take him aside, they coach him up, and then they, they, they commit him to the Lord. And they're like, all right, good luck. <laughs> May never see you again. Take luck with you. You know, like <laughs> that's the message version. <laughs> what about the gatherings, right? We see in the first missionary journey that we read, 13 and 14, those two pieces, the work. He goes all these places. Everywhere he goes, he's leaving a gathering. Now we're calling that church. Lystra, Derby, Iconium, all these places. And then he circles back to appoint elders. So he is starting churches without leadership that we would call leadership in our church today. Yeah. Who's leading those churches? They ain't been to seminary. 
<laughs> the Holy Spirit. He knew. I don't have to do much. Jesus had a plan. Paul followed the plan. How much time did Paul spend with Jesus personally? <laughs> so who was directing Paul? <laughs> right? Man, this comes to life. But somewhere along the way, and we do some of these things, some of them we do a lot better than others. We talked about in our first session, is there a big vision? Jesus was keeping the vision in front of Himself, but in front of the disciples. But He had a clear path in which He was going about accomplishing the vision. And there were simple steps that were being taken in each of these categories. Paul could have went, he went to the synagogue all the time. But if he just stopped there, might be telling a different story. He was intentional with everything that he did. It had purpose. So we do something called an intensive, an intensive training. It's three to four days. And we build out big vision, clear path, simple steps or tools to help understand each of these aspects of ministry. To help you even build a plan, what are you guys doing for entry? The Western church is second to nobody in entry. We're awesome at it. The humanitarian efforts that we do. All of these things, it gets a little gray in here. Right? It's the reality of it. If we go and man, we do bunch of humanitarian work and we don't share the gospel. Ouch. And then actually make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and it goes on and on. But then gathering those disciples together and calling them church. And expecting leaders to be developed and being intentional on developing those leaders. So think about your own ministries that you're a part of. Do you have a clear path on the vision? I'd say we probably all have some big visions in this room, what we're running towards. But is there a clear path? And are we taking necessary steps to see it come to life? Are we trusting on our own creativity? Are we actually willing to say, what did Jesus do? That might be a good place to start. (laughs) And so that's what an intensive training, what we call it, is designed to do, is to dive into the Word of God, not for us to just talk, but open the Word and say, let's start here. Let's see biblical principles for each of these areas of ministry come to life. And then we can use our creativity to build tools around this that become the simple steps that we take to move down the track. So we've typically done it over the course of four days. Uh, I think that's been a a little bit adapted here in our context in North America where we've gone kind of to a three-day model of giving people biblical principles 
to apply to their ministry. And then formulating a plan. Basically, at the end of an intensive, you spend about two and a half hours and you formulate a plan for the next three years of the ministry you're a part of. Setting goals. Building out what is the clear path to seeing this happen. Super helpful. As I shared at the beginning, this was the game changer for me. It changed my life. There's two guys in the back of the room that will tell you it changed their life too. To see this and then actually apply it. A lot of times people ask the question, well, does it work? Right? We've talked about this. Our team, who, who cares? Is it biblical? Can we take things from Jesus' ministry and Paul's ministry and actually say it can be descriptive and prescriptive? For our context today. So that's kind of what an intensive is. And we roll this out with people that are moving down the track, so to speak. We answer some of the hard questions, but we want you to wrestle with not just what we say, but what you read in the Word of God. Because we want to leave and be able to say, well, you're not wrestling with Corey, <laughs> you're wrestling with the Word. <laughs> I think I have a lot of clever things to say and I can point you in a direction, but it'll never amount to what this will point you in the direction of. So what an intensive does, the ministry that you're a part of, the organization you're a part of, whatever it is, how does an intensive serve you? Right? What is the, how does it serve that? It brings clarity. Sometimes it might muddy the water a little bit more. You have to strip away a lot of excess to go back to the grassroots. You're all doing ministry because the Lord pressed upon you a vision and convicted you to be a part of that ministry or whatever it is. And maybe you even saw the need. I want to meet that need. But we get so caught up in that which are good things that sometimes we forget the God things. We lose focus. And so an intensive is to bring us back. Right? We're calling not just us, our organization, but we want to call people back to obedience to Jesus. We talk about revival all the time. Revival starts through prayer, fasting, and simple obedience to King Jesus. Notice in Jesus' ministry, where did He go before He went into Galilee? What happened? The wilderness. And what happened in the wilderness? Yeah, He was tempted. But did you notice that the Holy Spirit is who led Him to the wilderness? <laughs> That's a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> right? The Holy Spirit led Him to the wilderness to be tempted. And the temptation that Jesus dealt with was not about the food. Yeah, He was hungry. But it was about His identity. If you are who you say you are, if you are the Son of God, do this. Do this. It's the same thing for us. We start with the Spirit. We see Jesus spending time with the Father in prayer. Jesus was fasting. He was doing these things. And God used Him to change the world. We're going to spend. I want to open it up to questions. We've got a lot of some time left. 
But I want you to think through this idea of an intensive. Maybe we talked about a gospel conversations training. That was kind of the first thing where there's a a one day where we give simple tools, bringing people to simple obedience. Hey, can you share the gospel? Can you make disciples? Then you move down the track a little bit and you're doing those things and now you're wrestling with, well, what's next? What do we do next? There's a specific training that's designed to elevate that, right? But by diving in the Word, we spend a lot of time in the Word. And then you're putting a plan in place. How do we move down the track? Where are we wanting to go and how do we get there? So that's how it ultimately serves the ministry that you're a part of or what you're doing. Yeah, go ahead. They're good questions. (laughs) So what role is Sunday morning taking? Yeah, that's a good question. So definitely in our context, right, we can't, we can't just blow that up. It's, and it's valuable, right? Corporate worship is important. We celebrate it, right? It's a time of celebration. It's a time to come together and celebrate what God is doing outside of the four walls. That's where we see the real value in it. But there's also people that are naturally just going to come to that Sunday morning. And then there's opportunities, right? But these opportunities have to have purpose. And I'll get these two guys to speak to that too because they actually are pastors of churches doing big celebrations on Sundays. Yeah, so and the gathering. So you're building disciples in field three and then field four, Sunday mornings, fifth and yeah. four gathering. I just want to make sure that you're intentional with your gathering. Yeah, make sure um, that they're not just uh, theatrics, but they're, they're part of uh, Jesus' strat- five-part strategy. So that's where Sunday morning gatherings fit inside those four fields. I would add to that. I agree with everybody said. I would add to that. There's a couple things you can do. Um, um, I, I would say it fits in field four. And I think also, let's acknowledge the reality that there are people that are coming that are far from God. Yeah. Showing up. And you can see, so we were, we were, we were doing a prayer experiment <laughs> praying for people all throughout here. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> Like we can, I didn't pray. Well, the, the movement hasn't got to you yet. But, but uh, and there are people that are walking in every Sunday morning. You, you, if you've done, a, you know, you meet people mm-hmm. that are showing up, and so after you invite them to this disciple making process, right? So yeah. being intentional about that. So and and then I so look through that lens, but then we have people that are we have pew sitters. So I think there's, and I learned this from someone else. Uh, share a big vision, hmm. what God wants to do. Uh, prayer. So one of like a couple weeks ago, our worship pastor, when we were doing communion, he basically just said, I want you to think about that one person in your life who's far from God right now. Mm-hmm. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, I want you to lift them before the throne of God. Like that's that's inviting them into God's mission. Yeah. Like, so in the seed for it. So and then so that's prayer, and the other one is training. Like so we we were sitting out there talking to like, hey, let's practice this. So there are little ways that you can play with that in your context, depending on what it looks like. Let's model like a gospel conversation. Let's model praying for people, you know. And so I think those things, casting that big vision, who's God want you to, to reach? Um, uh, what was the other thing I said? Prayer. Let's actually pray, pray. in the service. Yeah. Or lostness. 
right? And then let's try to figure out how we can do a little bit of training. That's good. So that's good. No, you. I, I feel like there's a fine line you gotta walk if you're having new people come in, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because you're creating this whole new language. Uh, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You got a lot of, I mean, and if you're celebrating these things and you're talking this dialogue, new believers come in, how do you make sure that they get connected? Like, and they don't get yeah. kicked out by, like, what is all this completely weird stuff because for so long churches have been seeker friendly in terms of their main service in terms of we don't we don't want to scare people we just want to introduce them to you know Jesus. so as he was saying a second ago so we typically see Sunday morning as gathering but as he mentioned we could also put Sunday morning in the gospel field and, yeah. and so you want to invite them into the kingdom and so it should but at the end of the day, how many people in your church understand a clear pathway? How, how are they understanding how Sunday morning is serving, at least your leadership, at least those who are like are bought in? And so uh, don't blow it up uh, because uh, if you blow it up, then you're going to lose everybody. Right. You're down like two or three people and you're gone. <laughs> so um, you just have to just, as he said, be creative. Like you can actually see gathering. In all five parts of yeah. that field, you can see gathering and entry because yeah. people are like, I'm looking for a place to belong, and they don't know who Jesus is. So having the gathering is entry. You can see it in gospel because hopefully you guys are communicating the gospel on Sunday morning. It's a place where people hopefully are learning the Bible and being educated in discipleship. Maybe not as much training as 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 you would, as we really needs to happen. Right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Just a snippet of the training, right? But that's exactly right. And then if you're releasing authority to people in your church to take on ownership of others' parts of service, you can actually put the, the service in all five parts. And But the new language that you're talking, that, 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 that you don't want to scare people off with, uh, yeah, like you just want to just be, just be careful. Like, I mean, like when I go and work with a church that this is all Greek to, <laughs> like I don't go in there and be like, hey, Let's get started with the five-part strategy of Jesus right now right. with four fills because then that guy's going to be like, dude, I, like we don't even we're right. not even on the same playing field. Right. So you just introduce parts. Mm-hmm. And what the best thing to do is just have a big training where you just cast a large vision of what it looks like, get your leadership bought in, and then just start incrementally uh, yeah. knocking this out. And, it's, uh, it's such a process, and it's the messiest process that you'll ever be a part of. Is there like, you know, like we can, man, I, I, I can't draw, but we can draw a neat picture and we can put it in all these little squares and we can outline it and this and that. But it's all happening simultaneously and you're dealing with people like so we're flawed to such an extent that even when we're participating in these things, it's a mess. Right. Discipleship is messy. Right. We've we've taken discipleship and we've put it into a box. <laughs> and we say <laughs> and we say, well, this is this is how discipleship works. And it's so program driven that we're losing touch with people. And dealing with man, discipleship is changing a flat tire on the side of the road. Discipleship is having meals constantly together or getting calls in the middle of the night, like it's messy, you know, and 
as they progress in discipleship, right? Because we want to grow to maturity in Christ till the day we stand before Him. It's it's a process, right? We're talking about you know James and John wanting to kill everybody. Bring on lightning, Lord! Like, let us wipe them all out. And these are these are three of his, two of the three closest people to Jesus. They got issues. <laughs> like we worked through that, yeah, Brian. Just, that's really good. Like your question, like we had to wrestle, and it's been a it's been a journey to wrestle with some of this language. I think we're finally getting to the point where we're, if we're able to communicate it, the principles of this, everything we just see up there, in a way where it doesn't sound like super weird to people. So let me lay it out to you. Every Sunday morning, our pastor gets up and says, Welcome to Cedar Ridge. Our mission is helping others follow Jesus. That's what we're about. We love to help others follow Jesus. And we want to help you follow Jesus, and we want to help you help others follow Jesus. And that's not super weird, right? right. <laughs> and then... Then we talk about entry through the gospel is reach. Discipleship is raise up. Right. And the other one is really, the other two are really. So, does that make sense? Is there anything like, oh gosh, sorry. No. I, I'm just, I, I try to nail things down. But, like, between like a normal, typical service that you would see in your, in your service, what would stand out differently? Not a lot. Not a lot. Other than the elements that you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. You're still orienting it. Yeah. But then if you can, so you know that pattern that Corey put up on the board earlier, that discipleship pattern. Right. In our small groups, that's what we're rolling out in our small right. groups. And you can say, hey, if you really want to be a part of what God's doing here, you need to be one of these groups to do everything that Corey's talking about right now. And that's where it happens. That's where it happens, right? That's where it happens. I feel like the, the big difference is that in, it, it's, it happens in the small group section where you're really taking it from it's about community and you're moving it to it's about developing disciples. Well, you're right. However, can you go on the? Can you touch on what you were telling earlier about the disciple making process? Like what's important? Yeah. So. Uh, Does that make sense? You remember? Yeah. Okay. Not everybody was in that session. Uh, so, we we use a a a method, a order of service, a whatever verbiage you want to use, uh, and it's structured of how we would do a discipleship meeting. And we, we, we break it down into three parts. And so the, the elements of that meeting would be we care for one another. We spend time worshiping the Father together. We cast vision, but there's loving accountability that happens. So we're meeting this week, and it's based off of last week. Man, how'd you do it? What's God teaching you in your abiding time? Well, you know, your quiet time, all these different things. Did you share the gospel with anybody? Tell me about that conversation. We're talking through that lovingly, right? And then we spend time focusing on the Father and we learn a new lesson together. Maybe that's a story. Maybe that's uh, we're working through a particular book of the Bible. And we discover together like we did a while ago. But then we move towards, well, let's practice what we've been learning. So maybe that's practice sharing the gospel with each other. Or if we just uh, study the story on the Ethiopian eunuch. Hey, do you think you could retell that story to me? We practice it with the implication of maybe you're going to meet somebody that you need to share this story with. Then we set goals for the next week. So we set our goals based on how are you following Jesus and how are you fishing for men? Jesus was very clear. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So how are you following Jesus in your daily life? And then how are you fishing for others? Because those two things go together. And then we pray. And so that structure of that meeting, if you were to take out loving accountability, practice 
and setting goals, it will never multiply. It won't go anywhere. But, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Add to it. No, 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 this is good. Yeah, we do a great job of caring for each other. We do a lot of those things already in our small groups. But what we lack is those bookends to say, what do you got to say? What am I going to do? And how are we going like, to walk together and hold each other accountable? Right? So it's in that environment where, like you said, in that small group where you're living that pattern out that really helps. So you said, we would say, I mean, I, I'm starting to not really like this word, but we would say the intentionality behind it and are we doing it with purpose is the game changer, right? It, it's That's where it begins to take off. So we we're talking about specifically with students. What if you had high school students that were going through this, but they're going back into their school with confidence and competence and being able to share the gospel with people? Yeah. Like the Lord has strategically placed all of us in an environment where there's lost people around us. How are we using that for the kingdom? And man, nowhere in Scripture would it ever say, well, you got to share the gospel 55 times this week. No. Like that Greek word, oikos, right, that we see, it means household. That's what it actually means. And that's how the gospel flowed throughout the New Testament, through spheres of influence. We could give you example of example. You know them. Lydia, the Philippian jailer, Crispus, Cornelius, all of these people. That's how the gospel flowed. It's no different in 2022. It's just we're not as intentional <laughs> as they maybe were. And taking ownership of the lostness around us and saying, what can I do? Right? Brian said in his session, we believe that it only takes one person. And I think you, you said he did it, right? The Lord did it. with God did it with one person. Change the world. Could that happen with you and your community and your environment? We believe so. But it's going to take some intentionality and maybe even being coached and discipled walking along down the path together. I think this is super important because the majority of people that I've discipled in my life are people that came through the doors of the church. Yeah. Um, that is the majority of people that I've discipled. It, was, it wasn't, didn't take a lot of work on my part. Right. Um, I mean, I have reached out to people before, yeah. and I, but the majority of people by far have been people that discipled. But... As the world becomes a little more anti-Christian, we're not going to be able to disciple people that way. And we yeah. won't find people that way because we won't be able to open the church and say, yep. you know, just come in the doors because it'll be a place where people feel rejected or they're, you know, if I go in there, I'm going to be shunned or, you know, that kind of thing. So the only way to reach people in a society that's not pro-Christian is going to be to reach people through relationships. And to encourage you in that, like... Do we trust and believe that the Holy Spirit is who He says He is? Right? That I, John 7, I will send you the Helper and He will teach you all things and convict you. So do we believe that the Holy Spirit is already in Nashville, wherever you're from, working on people? Everybody in here is like, yeah, of course. How do you find them? How do you find them? It's happening, right? But we... Whoa, whoa, high five, high five, high five. We could talk about that. Ooh. It's a biblical principle, like without question, littered throughout the New Testament. That's what Jesus told them to do when he sent them out. Exactly. And he said, when you find them, stay with them, <laughs> hang out there. 
And that's where the investment of that is. Man, what if you found a person of peace and you discipled them intentionally into a life of obedience to King Jesus? By doing so, seeing it, believe it with all my heart, they will, they will one, become closer to Christ, and through their obedience, they'll gain more knowledge of who Christ is and what He's done. That's the way it works. It's just, it's on us. <laughs> and that's the, that's the thing. People are going to have to stand up and say, I want to do this. I need to do this. And yeah, we can, we can talk about trainings. We can, do, we can put tools in your hands that help you move down the track. But it takes ownership. Can I give a story about that's what you drew up there? All yeah. The study you did with us changed my life. Yeah, yeah. So I was just thinking about it. And I actually had a guy walk up to me yesterday. I don't think he's in here. So he said, <laughs> he, he walked out of the session, he comes up down the table and says, I got a question for you. Does this stuff work? <laughs> and I said, well, I gave him a couple examples where it worked. I said, but I want to. Like essentially, as you said, like what Jesus did. Yeah. So, a couple years ago, this is how it works. Four or five years ago, uh, a couple of my well, we were out in the neighborhood in an apartment complex sharing the gospel every week in this apartment complex. Had people from all over the world. It was an awesome experience. Just yeah, loving all these people, praying for them, and we shared the gospel with a security guard sitting in his car, and the dude was like, "Pray for him, share the gospel with them." Can we come so okay, pray for him, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Share the gospel with him. And then we said, we'd love to come back and share more stories. So starting discipleship, he said, yeah, I'd love that. Well, when are you going to be here? I'll be here tomorrow night. So I called a couple of my friends who were actually looking to, they wanted to, they wanted to start discipling people. They yeah. They share the gospel a whole lot. We show up the next night, and guess what? He wasn't there. <laughs> And honestly, there's part of me that was just devastated. And in the past, I would have been completely, like it would have knocked me off my rocker for a month. Yeah. Because I tried something, excited about it. Yeah. You know what we did? What would you do? What would you do in that, in that scenario? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I <laughs> Right? So now I know what to do. And it was this moment where I was like, so we, I, the, Avery and Kevin and I, we just went back into that apartment complex and we just started praying for people sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. It was just this profound moment in my life where it was like, I now know what to do. I can't make any of it happen. Yeah. It. Holy Spirit makes it happen, but I know what to do now. It's just yeah. so amazing, so free. It, it, it's, and we could honestly, like, there are so many stories. Uh, I'm just thinking of even in a North American context of a, a young girl. All that happened. We prayed for her, share the gospel with her. She was like, Yeah. I want this. I want this. So starting immediately sharing, man, we immediately, hey, we'd like to share a story with you. Share a story of the Ethiopian eunuch. We were like, what do you need to do as a result of hearing this story? She was like, I need to be baptized. We're filling the bathtub up, you know, baptize this girl. We're like, all right, we're coming back next week. This time, do you know anybody that you could invite? She was like, I think so. So we come back the next week. She had 14 of her friends from her dance team sitting in her living room when we walked in the door. We were like, okay, we wasn't prepared for that. But it was like, all right. So then my wife started just focusing in and investing in her. 
She was one step ahead of these other girls, but she was facilitating that meeting. And then she would meet with my wife and my wife would say, well, how did it go? Let's talk about it. What, what went down? And she was like, well, there were some questions that I couldn't answer. All right, let's talk about that. And so we were able to give her what she needed when she needed it, not based on anything else other than, hey, she needs this right here, right now. And what we're giving her, she's immediately turning around and passing off to her friends. It's amazing. And like, that's just one of, I'm, I'm telling you, from doing this for the last seven years of my life full time, there's countless stories of how God is multiplying that. And it's, it's still messy, right? <laughs> like, you're going to run into doctrinal issues. You're going to run into all of those things. But if they're moving down the track, that's it. So, Mark 3, I'll leave you. This is it. Maybe one or two more questions. So, think about Mark 3. Jesus said that the disciples, the point was that they would be with him and he would send them out to preach. Right? So are we with Jesus and are we living a sent life? He said in John 20, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Are you living a sent life? And it's going to look different based on capacity, where you're currently placed, right? Miss Angela, we've been talking a lot about it. She's got five kids, right? If she can't disciple those five kids, right? That's where her time is going here. But she also works in a student ministry. So she's saying, okay, one, am I doing this with my children? But then how is it moving down the track over here? Those are the right things to be wrestling with, right? I only have three children. But simple, simple math tells me that if I can multiply myself into my three children, we got a lot more disciples. <laughs> you know, like, so are we being good stewards of the kingdom resources that God has given us? Any other questions? We love it. We love the questions because I, I think that the. That's I'm trying not to like but but you know because that means we're processing and we don't have it all figured out. We you've heard me you heard me say it at the beginning. We consider ourselves failing forward in every aspect that I put on that board. <laughs> but yeah yeah go ahead yeah we got we got four minutes. At what point are all leaders supposed to be discipling someone kind of new, or at some point are they supposed to just be discipling like leaders? Be like, what's the scaffolding look like as you're you're going up? <laughs> yeah. So, man, uh, something near and dear, close to our hearts, is like leadership is not always that ladder, right? That's how we put it. Definitely, you, you were talking about the corporate your job and things like that. So that's how we define leadership. Uh, but man, like, do we have a relationship with someone that we're learning from one another, even if they are? 10 steps ahead of me, one step ahead of me, maybe even behind. Like, I don't know. What does that relationship need to look like? And so I'll go this principle. We, we call it 139, right? And it's, so it's who are the three people that you are investing the most of your time in? And you might be in this room. I don't know everybody. You might be like, I'm a pastor. There's no way I can do that, right? I've got all these people. 
Jesus chose 12, but inside the 12, there were three that were closer than the other nine. There was intentionality behind that. Mount of Transfiguration, healing of Jairus' daughter, right? Peter, James, and John, come in. How are we investing in those people? And then who then are they investing in? Maybe it's not structurally that way. Uh, and from a missionary standpoint, we want things to be field-driven. right? We say, we want to learn from the field because I'm not over there doing it anymore. They're in the fire. And I think that that's... I think that's how we should see leadership. Um, but yes, people eventually as time goes, and there are certain seasons of our life where you might be coaching people that their, their arms are reaching a lot further. But maybe you have been there. Maybe you haven't. But you're providing accountability and coaching, walking them through it's really just caring for them. <laughs> There's a module that you do in the intensive yeah. about how you spend your time. Yeah. You have like a C- CPM continuum, and that's essentially what you're describing. Yeah. But you have zero fruit, lots of prayer, harvest. Right? And then lots of prayer, lots of prayer, lots of prayer all the way through. And then if you have more leaders, you have to, you have to, it would be bad stewardship not spend time with those leaders. Yeah. But there's always an edge when you say, core that everybody they're running with, we always are trying to share the gospel. We're always trying yeah. to make disciples of lost people. You know? So like, I'm a pastor. You're a pastor. Yeah, the other guy, Josh, that was in here is a senior so pastor of a church plant. personally discipling anybody who's kind of new in the faith, or are you mainly right. discipling people? Right now, no, but I do. Right. I am. It just ebbs and flows. Yeah, I am. And that's the season. Right. So there was a season where we were running hard, knocking on doors, sharing the gospel with people. Well, then I get to a point where my capacity has been reached, so am I being a good steward of the fruit that God has given me from that? And so I'm investing in some new believers, but there's existing believers that have kind of caught this vision and are running. I don't have to be as hands-on with them anymore. It's kind of like, hey, they know they can come talk to Corey if they need me. We can jump on a call. We can meet up for coffee. Uh, we would, you know, we're trying to spend... Uh, speaking for, I'm speak for Brian too. Like at least once a week, we're trying to get once a week touches with people we're legitimately investing in, and and there's and there's accountability, and there's these people that we're looking for. We're looking for fat people, you know. So, are the people you're spending your time with are they faithful? Are they available? And are they teachable? And then there's fatter people, right? Are they are they reproducing? Are they reproducing? Man, teachable, teachable. Like honestly, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with someone that's not available. They're available. They could be available, not available now. Right. A year from now, they could be available. Yes. Right. So we're not we're not saying you're sorry. But honestly, like, so this is that 2 Timothy 2.2. If you look at the characteristics, so he he points out an athlete, a farmer, and a soldier. All three of those have those characteristics. The soldier was faithful to the task that was given to him. They were available. He was available. The athlete was teachable. He had to know the rules to play the game. And then the farmer... He's reproducing. So we, this is a biblical principle that we, we make, we have a fun time talking about it, you know, because we want fat people. 
The what? Yeah. You rearrange the letters. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes. Yes, there is. So for us, we we walk through a story set uh, that is we call the commands of Christ, uh, and so it's specific commands that we see Jesus point out in the New Testament. So we're teaching them obedience to Jesus, and so a lot of people they get to the end of that and they're like, "Oh, what do I do now?" They're like. The Word of God, like go, you know, explore, and so. But we, I, I thoroughly base it off of where are they at, right? And what do they need right now? I think uh, there's some tendencies to immediately, man, we, we gotta, we gotta show them all these, you know, doctrinal points. Those things are important. Is that what they need right now? What's helping them down the track? So our plan is commands of Jesus. We want them obeying Christ. As they obey Christ, they're naturally going to have questions. What about the Trinity? What about you know these things? Yes, sir. So is that helpful? I, sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Is that is that helpful? It is. Okay. Uh, I'm we comparing can... it to what we're currently doing. Okay. Which is Greg Ogden's uh, yeah. discipleship Okay. And Greg, you know, there's some obedience to yeah. Christ in there, but there's also doctrine. Yeah. These are doctrines. These are doctrines. Yeah, we would say they're foundational yeah. beliefs to your new life in Christ. But you know, and it's you know finish it in 25 weeks, and then okay, now that you've finished it, your duty is to go out and get some others and start doing the 25 weeks. Okay. Um, the difference is, we would say, like next week. Yeah. Right. We would say this this same group that you're a part of right now, what would it look like for you to lead one next week with people I don't know? Don't bring your friends into my group. You go start one over there. Yeah, we, let's talk about that. Yes, sir. Um, I know we're out of time, but yeah, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs>Right, that wraps up the episode for today next up we got more episodes featuring e3 partners like i said at the beginning we are jumping around their track sessions so it's a little bit out of order so the next one actually happened before this episode but i wanted you to just hear a little bit from Corey's heart before we jumped into all that they had to offer so make sure you hit the subscribe button to know when i release that next episode and i hope to catch you on the next one y'all have a great day